You are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast on 1310 AM Portland, streaming live each week at 11 AM on WLOBradio.com. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. So we're looking at depression now as an inflammatory illness, it's a brain disease, and then how do we treat that most effectively? So TMS is one tool for that. I mean, obviously the standards have been more in the lines of medication, talk therapy, which can all still be helpful. But it's nice that for people who that's not working, they have another alternative now. People really reach a point where they just, they're unhappy enough, they just feel they need help. And again, I think it's when it really starts to affect their lives, when people will notice it affects their job, their relationship with friends, their relationship with their family. People notice those kinds of changes. I think that's when they should get help. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Akari. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 34, Dark Days, which is airing for the first time on Sunday, May 6th, 2012 on WLOBradio.com. Today's guests include Dr. Carol Oram Huff, a South Portland psychologist and owner of the TMS Center of Maine, and Dr. Brian Woods, attending psychiatrist from Geechee Hall and the Maine Medical Center. Joining me in the studio today, as every week, is our co-host Genevieve Morgan, who is the wellness editor for Maine Magazine. Thank you for being here again, Jen. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. It's, an, it's a bright time of year to be talking about dark days, but I think it's a really important topic. And it's probably an important topic to talk about during these bright times, because there are always people in the community who are suffering from some sort of mental and emotional darkness. But maybe during these times of year, when it's so bright, they're feeling even less um, connected to the community. So we thought this would be a good time to talk about this. It's true. It, it, I think it might be harder. It's at holidays or any time when people, when you're supposed to be feeling joyful, when you're not. And a lot of times that's just out of your control. And I think that this is what this show is about. You and I have had our own dark days this past year. <laughs> well, both of us have gone through some significant transitions. And I think we've shared this with people who are listening to the podcast or the show as we've gone along. And there's pretty much no secrets. Um, I I myself transitioned out of one job where I was a physician, attending physician and teacher for a large local um, hospital. I've also gone through um, some major financial things as a result of that. I've, I've had a major household move. I've moved my practice. I've um, had... I moved out of my marriage, so lots of darkness. And I've written about a lot of this on the Bountiful blog, so people who are my patients and my friends, um, people who are paying attention, they know that you know this is the reality. 
I'm dealing with the same sorts of darkness that a lot of people deal with in their lives. And you as well, Jen. I very much so. Um, last year, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. So we've, as a family, have been dealing with her treatment and recovery. And I have myself gotten ill in the fall and then have been experiencing back pain for now about five or six months, serious chronic pain, which is in itself a very depressing thing, not only because pain is depressing but um, of mood, but also uh, I've lost my capacity to exercise, my capacity to drive, my capacity to move around in the way that I'm used to. So it's a different kind of loss than yours, but it's all of these losses create despair. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about despair, but we're also talking about hope. One of the reasons we wanted to have this show is that there are resources in the community. I mean, whether you're, you go to Dr. Carol Oramhoff um, of the TMS Center of Maine, the local psychologist, and deal with depression in that way, or whether you end up needing to um, get medication from a psychiatrist such as Dr. Brian Woods, or whether you aren't really quite to the point of depression, but you start having to make significant lifestyle changes. There are things that you can do that can impact your mood in a significant way, even when you're going through the losses that you've described or the transitions that I've described. What are some of the things that you prescribe for your patients? Well, I think I've said this on previous shows. The interesting thing for me is that I've maintained a private practice throughout all of this. And it is the private practice and my patients who have continued to come see me as a doctor, even as I was feeling my own personal life was falling apart. I still felt as though I had a sense of purpose. I had something to offer. Um, and for me, the social connectivity there and that sense of purpose, those are two things that are so crucial to um, maintaining one's sense of self and one's um, positive outlook on life. So maintaining one's uh, connections in whatever way is possible, whether that means your friends, your family members, continuing to show up in your primary relationships, significant other, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, and really try to share your feelings, as difficult as that may be for you or for them. Um, but also diet and exercise um, and, a, and a mindfulness practice. One of the things that I've found interesting about my own experience this year, and because I am connected with so many wellness practitioners in Maine, uh, I've had the advice to try and learn from the pain, try to understand what the purpose of all of this is. And I, I get very wary about... I don't think I deserved my back pain. I don't think I willed it on myself, but I, I did try to take it as, what is this telling me? And it really knocked me on my back, and it made me go inward, and particularly in the winter when, I, when it was easier to do that. Um, it's hard because of my personality, but I tried to take that and, and use it with the understanding that, or the hope that eventually it would go away, so that I wasn't always going to be in that position. But I did, I did kind of go into myself with the with the pain and the and the depression that came out of that. I, I think that's a really important point. And, and in fact, I think back to our first show that aired in September of 2011, talking um, to an author who wrote about her own loss and the loss of her mother and how she had to sift through sort of the things in her life that had brought her to that place and, and sift through some of the things she needed to let go of with her mother. Um, I know that for you, you had to let go of some things, the driving you described, you know, some of the things that had become really central to who you were. Um, John McCain, the musician who also does the audio for the show, is telling us about 
um, the German view of depression and this this idea of digging in that you actually had to work through things. It's not a bad thing. It's it's sort of a, just working through the you know digging back through the things that you need to deal with in your life so that you can keep moving forward. So that you can come out again with something new or hopefully something new. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's, that is the idea is that you can get stuck in your life and you can get stuck if you've decided that whatever identity you've had to discard is, is the one identity with this fixed mindset. That's, that's who you were meant to be and now it's gone and you've failed and there's nothing more to look forward to. Or you can have a growth mindset as difficult as it is. You can sit with your feelings, you can acknowledge the loss and you can keep moving forward. Take it as I need to work through these things. I need to fix whatever patterns are broken. I need to let go. And I need to create my own evolving identity because none of us are fixed. We're always ever evolving. And I think the important part of this is that at one point or another, almost everyone will go through a transition or a loss that will create a depressed mood. Um, Obviously, we'll find out from our our guests, you know, what is the difference between a minor depression and a major depression, but that you're not alone if you're out there having these feelings. Uh, We've gone through them recently, and at some point, everybody will. Well, you're not alone, and, you know, some statistics suggest that depression is only even recognized about 40% of the time. So sometimes we're not even sure that the people who we care about are depressed or that we ourselves are depressed. Uh, the other important thing, you know, you gave me this quote out of The Noonday Demon, which is a book about depression written by Andrew Solomon. The other piece to understand is that when we are depressed, in large part, it is because we're losing something that we care about, whether it's a job, an identity, a loved one. Um, but because we, it's because we are able to love that we experience this loss. So the quote that I thought was really powerful is, depression is the flaw in love. To be creatures who love, we must be creatures who can despair at what we lose, and depression is the mechanism of that despair. So to understand that because we have, we can lose, and because we love, we are able to grieve. And whatever form that takes, whether it's um, an adjustment reaction, as we'll talk about with Dr. Woods, or a dysthymic disorder, or even a depression, or even you know lifelong struggles with emotional um, difficulties, it's just part of being human. We all have this in us. And you can still have a good life, even if you do suffer from chronic depression. There are tools out there. You can still have a good life. You can still have a very good life. And we hope the people who are listening to our conversations with Dr. Carol Oramhoff and Dr. Brian Woods will find some inspiration, will maybe um, hear about some tools that might be useful in their own lives in dealing with their own dark days. Each week on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we feature a segment we call Wellness Innovations, sponsored by the University of New England. This wellness innovation it offers an evolutionary view of depression from an article in the March 1st volume of Molecular Psychiatry, as reported by Emory News Center. For several years, researchers have seen links between depression and inflammation or overactivation of the immune system. People with depression tend to have higher levels of inflammation, even if they're not fighting an infection. Infection was the major cause of death in humans' early history, so surviving infection was a key determinant in whether someone was able to pass on his or her genes. This theory proposes that evolution and genetics have culminated in depressive symptoms and physical responses selected on the basis of reducing death from infection. Fever, fatigue, 
Inactivity, sleeplessness, social avoidance, and anorexia can all be seen as adaptive behaviors in light of the need to contain infection. It also provides a new explanation for why stress is a major risk factor for depression and that stress preactivates the immune system in anticipation of injury. For information on this wellness innovation, visit doctorlisa.org. For more information on the University of New England, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. Today on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we have the privilege of spending time with Dr. Carol Oram Huff, who has been known to Genevieve Morgan and I for quite a while, at least in name, because um, our audio guru, John McCain, is, um, works with her in her practice. And Genevieve's sitting here next to me. Hi, Carol. It's nice Hi. to have you here today. Thanks for having me. So your reputation precedes you, and not only does your reputation precede you as a person, as a, as a friend and coworker of John's, but also um, what you do has very recently gotten some national acclaim. So it's so timely and interesting, and it's great to have you here. We really appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Carol, your background is very interesting. You you do currently psychology, and um, you, you I don't know how you consider yourself a therapist or exactly what you're. Tell tell us define yourself a little bit here for us, and <laughs> then we'll ask words. us how you, in your own words, and then we'll ask you how you got to be here. Okay, well I am a licensed psychologist, is how we term it here in Maine. Um, the background was in uh, depth psychology. I went to uh, Pacifica Graduate Institute out in California, actually, and commuted for a couple years to their program and then finally moved out to California to finish it. Anyway, so my orientation from an educational perspective is one is at looking at the psyche, um, the unconscious, and how all this informs our way of being in the world. And after I practiced for a while, I actually did my postdoctoral fellowship at Maine Med at McEachie and started private practice after that. And um, I needed more tools, I felt like, um, that could really structure things a little bit better. So I became trained in EMDR. That was my first sort of brain-based therapy. And EMDR, for people who aren't familiar? Stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. Okay, and we'll talk more about that. Okay. And so I got trained in that, and it's become extremely, extremely helpful in terms of uh, trauma resolution, not just um, what we would call like a simple trauma, um, which would be something like a tsunami. I know it doesn't sound simple, but you know something wrong place, wrong time, not personal. But even um, so far as to go to attachment traumas, which is why many, many people come to therapy, is that there's been some sort of wounding early on in their life. Um, someone that needed to be there for them could not be there for them in the way that they needed. And so that actually is useful for um, that kind of attachment trauma as well. I know the wounded warrior group that treats soldiers coming back from overseas uses EMDR quite a bit. Yes, I have someone right now in treatment that is uh, is coming back from Afghanistan. So, um, you know, it's more complex trauma. But it's very, very helpful. So anyway, that was my first brain-based sort of 
technique to learn. And even though I do come from this orientation of depth uh, psychology, I found that very useful. I then became um, aware of a treatment um, using the psyche. It's called Internal Family Systems. And we have a group here in Maine who um, practices this therapy. So I went for the one of the um, level one trainings down in Boston for that, which took a, a year. And it was a really powerful way of accessing people's parts, if you will, so different parts of the psyche that um, cause problems as well as um, those that don't, but integrating the psyche, which leads me then to my more recent um, discovery in the last few years about Dan Siegel, who is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he is very, very big with attachment and integration of the brain and kind of understanding how, when a brain is not integrated, the right and left brains are not connecting, the upper and lower brains are not connecting. When that's happening, that's when we get these psychological symptoms. And so he is a powerful force um, right now in the psychological community for us to understand better how the psyche works and how to most be helpful in healing that. So this internal family systems is a great tool as well. But you yourself did not come from, you didn't go directly into psychology. You had a a varied background. Um, Yes, I started in engineering. Um, I went to Purdue University for engineering and um, came out of that and then went to to work for a few years and then became interested in more the business side of things. So I became uh, interested and got an MBA from Creighton University out in Omaha and then practiced um, that kind of work, if you will, for several years. And it found that I really wanted to um, be more on the healing side of things. I had actually gotten into the medical world from more of a um, products and those kinds of things. And I felt like I wanted to really be more on the clinician side and giving to the people. So how has this all come together for you today? So today, um, it's actually really interesting to watch this kind of organically unfold because I am practicing as a therapist, um, psychotherapist with EMDR and internal family systems and mindfulness, this stuff from Dan Siegel. Um, But then also a year ago, brought in a, a piece of equipment called a transcranial magnetic stimulation machine by Neuronetics. And so with John's help, we've been able to treat 12 people and basically assist people, not all 12, but I'd say nine of the 12 have had significant reduction in their depression symptoms. Uh, We use a scoring tool called a PHQ-9, which is a tool that the insurance companies like. And so it rates essentially uh, nine different symptoms, things like fatigue, problems sleeping, appetite problems, these kinds of things. People rate that on a scale of zero to three, three being worse, so the worst score would be a 27. So people come in for this treatment in the high teens or the 20s with the PHQ-9 score. So that's very, very... Depressed. Yeah. They're having a lot of problems. They can't, sometimes can't work, you know, things like that. And by the end of the TMS treatment, they're down to like a one, two, sometimes a zero. It's remarkable. And it's not just, we like, I like to use this scoring thing because it's easier to quantify, I guess that's the engineering part in me, um, than to just say I feel better. And I think it helps people too to see that, wow, you know, look at these scores, how they've come down. So it's been an exciting process to kind of learn more about the brain and then try to most recently, I brought in um, another technique, which I can tell you about as well, which is called neurofeedback, which is another brain-based way of healing the brain. It's interesting to me that you went to this family internal family systems model in Dan Siegel, and you're describing it as a way of integrating sort of up and down and heart and brain. And, and it also sounds like maybe this is something you needed to do in your own life. Well, most definitely, I found that um, 
I learned meditation, oh gosh, 20, 30 years ago. And I have found that to be you know, just a necessity now in my life. Uh, it used to be something I practiced because someone told me it would be helpful. But now I actually feel the difference if I'm not um, coming from a more centered place. So these tools have, I've done EMDR personally. That's been very helpful. I've done internal family systems. I'm still doing that. It's very, very helpful. Um, can, can we backtrack a little bit? And sure. just Could you explain what TMS is, what, what it looks like to a patient? Certainly. TMS stands for transcranial, so it's going through the cranium, magnetic, using magnet stimulation, it's stimulating the brain. What it does is delivers a small magnetic pulse to the left prefrontal cortex. This is an area of the brain that we know, and I have a picture if we want to ever put it on. We know that the brain looks different in somebody who is a depressed person versus a non-depressed person. So when someone is depressed, the brain is not balanced and there's not a lot of metabolic activity. Vers- we're, we're looking at a picture right now which shows two brains. One's depressed, one's not depressed. Right. And the one that's not depressed looks like a Ferris wheel or something. It's all lit, lit up. up. Right. And the one that is depressed is, is very dark. Right. And just has a little bit lit up. So what you're seeing here is a lack of metabolic activity on a depressed brain and an imbalance where it's not all communicating properly. And that's scientifically shown and proven. Yes, this is a, a PET scan from the Mayo Clinic, this particular photo. So what we, would, what we would translate that into for people is to understand if you have a heart disease, your heart's going to look different. If you have diabetes, your pancreas is going to look different. So we're looking at depression now as an inflammatory illness. It's a brain disease. And then how do we treat that most effectively? So TMS is one tool for that. I mean, obviously, the um, standards have been more in the lines of medication, talk therapy, which um, can all still be helpful. But it's nice that for people who that's not working, they have another alternative now. And this is the this is what was actually featured on the Dr. Oz show, I believe, right. not so long ago. So how has that impacted your practice, the fact that this has now become nationally recognized? Well, people are learning about it now, which is great. We've tried to spread the word um, through various means in the last year, but have not gotten that far. So it's been the chance person that hunts and you know, Googles depression and finds TMS. Now I'm getting calls almost daily uh, from people who have loved, you know, someone's told them about the Dr. Oz show or they've seen it online now. So it's really, really helped. Who would be a candidate for TMS? As we know now that the t- that depression is an inflammatory illness, in other words, that the, the longer it goes on, the more inflammation occurs in the body. It has a physical as well as emotional effect. Really, anyone who does not treat well with medication one or two times, you would give it a few times to try to get the meds going, then you they would be a candidate. But what has traditionally been um, TMS has traditionally been thought of for the ones who are really treatment resistant, but that's not necessarily the case. It doesn't need to be, you know, they don't have to have gone that far, like 20 years of depression. The actual um, best practices guidelines from the American Psychiatric Association now say that TMS should be the second line order of treatment. So when someone's newly depressed, they come in to a psychiatrist or their PCP, and they get evaluated and put on some sort of medication for it. If that medication is successful, great. If not, second line order of treatment is that we should look at something like TMS. And that's actually quite something. I mean, that's that's very forward thinking of the FDA and the people who are putting together the, the best practices. Yes, this is actually the American Psychiatric Association, and that was done the end of 2010. Because um, we should just make it clear to listeners that this is FDA approved, but it's n- it's absolutely non-invasive correct. and non-systemic. It's, it's just an electrical impulse. Correct. It's not like electric shock therapy, which um, jolts your whole body. You have to have um, sedation. You can't really do much for the next day or so. You might lose memory. This is like a 
in and out procedure. You come in 37 minutes for the treatment typically, and then you would go back to work. And how, what does it feel like? What is it? What's the, described to me when somebody comes in? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Well, it's like? like a dentist chair. It looks like a dentist chair, and then you tilt back in it, and uh, John places the magnet um, on the correct spot. The first treatment, we have to figure out where the placement is and the correct dosage. And so there's an algorithm with the computer in the, um, in the machine where we're figuring that out um, using the motor cortex and, and somebody's And how, how do you figure that out? So, so you want to know specifically? Well, I'm just, I'm fascinated. And, sure. And it's just so interesting that, that you're doing something that's very physical for something that we always think about as being very kind of emotional, spiritual, some sort of woo-woo thing, but this is very tangible. Right. So I, to, to just explain, and they show this a little bit on the Dr. Oz, is that a person has their right arm up like a hitchhiker, and we have a magnet placed. On, now we move it to the motor cortex. That's not where we're going to do the treatment, but it's how we find the correct angle, the correct placement in the brain. And so... There's a thing called a homunculus that you probably know about, which shows where, if depending on where you stimulate in the motor cortex, certain parts of your body will respond. So we're looking for the specific area where the thumb twitches. So we're watching and producing a pulse, so it's tap, and we're seeing if that thumb twitches or a finger twitches. And until it does, we, we move around and figure that's where that spot is. And then when we get that twitching, we know, okay, we've got the right area. Now we move forward and to the right placement. It's about five centimeters forward. Does it hurt? I didn't like it. It does not hurt. It felt like a woodpecker. It's hard to describe until you do it, but it's just, it's the way, it's a tap, 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 and then pull and pauses for 20 seconds, and then tap, 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 pause for 20 seconds. Um, we recommend people take an aspirin before they come, but I just recommend people to like bring an iPod or something to listen to music. I didn't think it was particularly it's like pleasant. Getting your legs it's, yeah, it's not a, you know, you don't just like seek it out and go, this will be fun. It's not a, I didn't think it was a particularly pleasant experience, but it wasn't painful. Tell me what EMDR, um, you talked about the use of EMDR for trauma. Tell me what that is like and, and what are the uses for that? Well, I think the um, place to start with that discussion really is also to explain trauma. There's different types of trauma. There's your very simple trauma, which I mentioned was like a tsunami, um, wrong place, wrong time. It's kind of like a 9/11. Thing. You know, you can't help it. It just sort of it just all happened. Of a it wasn't was personal. You. Yeah, right. you're yes. just you're hit with this. People suffer from PTSD after things like that. They can't sleep. Um, they have a startle response. So that's one level of trauma. Then we move into more of a little bit more personal, which would be something like a rape or something. A home invasion where it's personal it's more personal in the sense that it, it's an invasion to you but it's not a person that you knew you know so again it's kind of wrong place wrong time but a little more direct to you and then we go down to the more most which is when people have suffered from some sort of child abuse or neglect and it's much more personal and um, so that's more complex trauma so anyway EMDR is used for all these different types of trauma and it's very effective. In fact, like I said, I did it myself, and that's why I wanted to go get trained. And it moves, it's thought to move the therapeutic process along in terms of time, maybe cut it by a third. What it's actually doing is connecting the right and left hemispheres of the brain. The right holds the feeling and the affect of something. The left holds the narrative and the logic of it, if you will. When we have trauma, our brain stops that integration. It stops connecting. And so when we can do this, bilateral stimulation is what it is. So the eyes are moving back and forth. I also have like pods or earphones that can do the same thing, put 
sounds in. But the point is that it's getting this connection going so that we move from that perhaps child state of being helpless and not understanding what's going on and blaming ourselves typically as children to being able to integrate that experience and then come at it more from an adult perspective, grown and more healthy, balanced, obviously, because you've grown and matured, and be able to look at that experience uh, from, you know, with adult eyes and say, wow, you know, a lot of times it's getting that you were not at fault, that you were, you know, suffered at the hands of someone else or their problems caused them to be a certain way. And um, just facilitates sort of a resolution, a settling down of those charged pathways in the brain, basically. So it's, it's quite stunning. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And by Booth, Accounting and Business Management Services, Payroll and Bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. And all of these things, the, the, whether it's a personal trauma or a non-personal trauma, all of these things can contribute to depression. Absolutely. Yes. And this is something that can start from very early on in one's life and continue on for many years, if not ever. Correct. And I think that's the interesting connection as we talk about, you know, coming from this more depth perspective and knowing that there's under, you know, you're looking at the underlying issues. Um, I, I don't see a real conflict because EMDR is getting to some of these much more deeper underlying issues and getting that to then resolve. So it actually may be more of thought of as more cognitive type of treatment, but in a way it's, it's working in a depth fashion. You also spoke about neurofeedback. What is that? Um, neurofeedback is a way of also integrating the brain and connecting parts that need to be connected. Sometimes brains are not integrated in the sense that they're asymmetric in terms of their communication. And other times it's that we have a predominance of one frequency that's driving a person. In other words, let's, for example, when someone has problems sleeping, um, instead of taking meds, if you do neurofeedback, that will bring down what we call the delta waves, which are the waves we need to sleep. But if they're too high, then that person's not going to be able to to fall asleep. So what neurofeedback does is essentially we do a, a quantitative EEG, so again we go technical, to map the brain and understand what areas of the brain are overactive, what areas are underactive. And then we use um, a biofeedback essentially, but for the brain treatment where a person is watching some sort of game or whatever and they get positive feedback when the brain waves are within the range that we want them to be in and they don't get rewarded when the brain waves are outside. So in other words, if someone is depressed, they're going to have under arousal. They're going to have brain waves that are too low. And we want to bring those up. So we'll set a bar, let's say, just, I don't know, people, this is radio. So let's say we have a scale of 0 to 10, and we're going to, and it's vertical. We're going to set a bar at like 4, let's say. And everything above 4, they're going to get re rewarded for. And so they're going to say, oh, and the brain starts to learn. It's nothing that they themselves do. The brain learns to do this. And when they go below four, which would be more where they were, you know, the depression kind of stuff, then 
um, they would not get rewarded. The same is true if somebody has a lot of anxiety, they have too high brain waves. So we would set the bar, let's say at eight, if I'm just using the same vertical visual, and everything above eight would not get rewarded, and when they stayed under eight, their brain would get rewarded. And so over time, brain changes with pulses and repetition, and this works for TMS as well as neurofeedback. So we try to treat people twice a week, for our about 45 minute sessions and over, I'd say some people can respond and be completely finished with it 20 weeks. Other people it takes a couple of years. So it just depends on what's going on with the person. And the point of it is that, because I've read about neurofeedback, especially with children and ADHD, um, that you can, when you're not on the machine, your brain has learned the, the where your comfort zone Co- is. Correct. And so you can access those waves when you're off the machine. So exactly. the point is to train yourself. Right. Like working out. Right. Exactly. Oh, you have read about it. Very, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A yeah, bit. and it is, and it's, that's the point. Is I want to do it. <laughs> what we call we call this neuroplasticity is sort of the the buzzword around um, the brain now that we know. We used to think that you know, there were certain times you had to learn something. If you didn't learn that, then you know, that was it. Now we know that there's a plasticity throughout the lifespan. So what we're doing with these tools, like TMS or like neurofeedback, is we're working with the neuroplasticity and trying to get the brain then to hold how we train it. So same with TMS. Sometimes people have to come in for a booster treatment. Sometimes they come in just for once every couple of months of treatment. It's just to keep the brain in that range, keep it firing, or with to refer to neurofeedback, keep the, the frequencies in balance. And how is this similar or different um, from biofeedback? Well, biofeedback would be, for instance, when someone... Um, has migraines, a great biofeedback treatment is to imagine that you are laying on a beach somewhere, put your hands out of your body, imagine that there's an umbrella kind of over your whole body except for your hands, and then your hands are baking in the sun. Do this for about 10 minutes, and what will happen is your hands are going to get warm, and the blood's going to come out of that constricted brain, and the migraine will leave. So that's a biofeedback. That's working with the biological systems in the body. Neurofeedback is similar, although we're, it's, brain, it's the brain learning this. So when actually someone does neurofeedback, we're not saying try to make this happen necessarily. It's just they have an intent to um, have the brain helped with this, and they're watching some sort of little Pac-Man run around a screen or whatever. And when their brain starts to get, okay, this is what makes it move, then it starts traveling. And that's you know, that's the conditioning, if you will. That's like the putting the blood out to the hands. So it's biofeedback for the brain. And there's also a similar thing, and I don't mean to keep, you know, pulling you into different therapies, but I'm fascinated by this because we're approaching this in so many depression and, you know, psychological issues in so many different ways. There's also something that the HeartMath Institute does, which um, this whole entrainment thing, and it's similar where you kind of, you're attached, you're I think it's your finger is attached to an electrode, and then you look on a screen. There's a balloon that goes up mm-hmm. and down. So is that is there some similarities between yes, that? Yes, there is some similarities well? to that, and there's other tools as well that can help train the breath. And there's different devices like that. I'm developing a website right now, which will have that kind of equipment on it's it. It's very empowering for people. I mean, rather than having to be medicated, they actually have the tools within them. Exactly. With the right conditioning, that they can then right help themselves. And it's still, though, I must say that it's, it still needs to be an integrated effort. It, it, I don't. I hope people don't take away from this that, oh, I just have to do TMS or I just have to do EMDR or, or neurofeedback, whatever. I, I find that people that get the most success with this in terms of healing and really coming to balance is when we come at it from this multi-pronged, you know, it's psychotherapy. It is maybe a brain-based treatment. It may be a little bit of medication for a while, depending on how the severity of somebody's depression. But overall, I think when we have this 
sort of wraparound, multi-pronged approach that's the most beneficial to people. One of the things that you handed to me was this best practices treatment guideline for depression. And I'm looking at the systemic drug side effects. So there's all kinds of side effects that occur within the body as a whole for drugs that are supposed to treat depression. So what that also tells me is, and I know this anyway as a healthcare provider, but um, there are very physical things that happen with depression. There are things that, that you actually will have changes in your weight and your in what you want to eat. And um, is this a way that some people who might not consider themselves to be depressed is this a way that they can recognize that perhaps they do have depression as some of these physical side effects Absolutely. or physical effects? Yes, definitely. So, so describe some of the things that you've seen people present with that might be physical in origin. And physical in origin, um, I think what you described was the weight gain issue, the irritability. I think that's a big one. A lot of times when people are really irritable, they don't realize that this is like an, it's an angry depression, an, um, an anxious depression. Um, when people are burned out, a lot of times, too, they end up not recognizing that it's just they've had the pedal down too far for too long and they're just, it's like an exhausted, anxious depression. Um, Physically, I think when people end up with illnesses too, I mean, you can end up with high blood pressure and more heart disease, things like that from depression as well. So chronic pain, mm, chronic pain, exactly. So it it really can affect the entire uh, physical body. And sleep, you mentioned. That's one thing that seems to be very impacted by depression, anxiety, other psychological Absolutely. issues. Absolutely. In fact, I know they've done studies recently where um, they believe they, I forget who the big brand they is in this perspective, but um, that they recommend that people for, with mental health focus and good, good sleep hygiene. And I've worked with people like bipolar or whatever, that if you can really get the sleep so that you go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time, kind of have a little hour-long sleep routine before you actually go to bed that winds you down, you're not on the TV, you're not on the computer, it makes a big difference in people's emotional health. So yeah, sleep is oftentimes where people, you know, it's very miserable to not get good, solid sleep. And that will oftentimes, I think, be a flag for people to get some sort of help. Does all of this continue to appeal to that engineer side of you, that the woman who went and got the MBA? I mean, it's so interesting to me that you went to depth psychology and you know, internal family systems, and and yet you're the woman who went to Purdue. With, I mean, does this surprise you? Wake up some morning surprised that, or, yeah. or do you continue to just feel fulfilled? I feel like I'm much more on my path, if you will, or, or in my um, correct line of work. There were other reasons why I became an engineer. I was good at math and science, so that's not really a great reason to become an engineer. So I think that um, my own growth has um, informed me in the process. And I, yes, I still have that analytical head. And so it helps, I think, to um, be able to learn and understand some of these technologies that um, can be intimidating, perhaps, but to some. But I, I think that that helps me understand some of those. But, but no, my more t- genuine nature, I think, as I've grown through the years, is more um, reflective and um, able to look at both right and left. I guess that's a great way to put it, right? The, le- the left brain is totally this engineering MBA stuff, typically, and the right brain is much more this internal, the, the patterns of things, how people are thinking, what's driving them, what's underneath their issues. So it's, it's my own, I guess, integration as I've grown. Yeah, and I think that was when I asked way back the question about this and this integration in your life. Um, that was sort of where I was trying to get to, oh, was, okay. was that piece. Um, were there challenges along the way for you personally as you were exploring what your path was supposed to be? Oh, most definitely. 
Definitely. Yeah. I, I think there's a great term called the wounded healer, um, which I learned about when I was in graduate school. And I, I think that that concept is very apt for myself anyway, and that when we go through life difficulties and things that are challenging, like a divorce and single parenting, things like that, then it allows you to relate um, in a deeper way, I think, and have empathy for people in all kinds of situations when you go through your own pain and and um, struggles, and then find your way through to hopefully some sort of resolution or at least insight about it so that it becomes something to learn from and grow from and not just a thing to overcome. I like that because I think this is the this is the warrior mentality that we sometimes will espouse. Like it's a battle, it's a fight. If you could just get to the other side, that it's all going to be good. But what you're describing is it really truly is integration. You're never going to get rid of the things that you've gone through. They're all woven into your past history. Definitely. And I think they, they can really help you um, as a person, just the depth that comes from suffering and moving through things. And there's still things that I'm struggling with, but I find when you're out there and trying to understand how things impact each other and where things fit, then you know it comes together. And I always remember the wounded healer image when working with people. It's a humbling experience to work with people and, and to be a witness to their pain and um, whatever particular issue they're going through. I think having had my own, it just makes you more um, able to be present and not have to, I guess that's another good point is that you don't, some, you don't push away the pain. You don't try to keep something from touching you. You kind of move it in and digest it and let it move through. I know in, um, I know in my pre-doctoral internship, I was in a facility that was very, very challenging working with sexually abused children and girls that were pregnant with their father's babies and very challenging things. And there was no support emotionally for that. And the fact that the thought was that you just sort of, I think people just did disconnect from their pain. And at the end of it, I, it was overwhelming. I really thought, wow, how do I learn how to do this work? And then with help of the postdoctoral internship and San, Dr. Sandy Cole particularly, um, it really helped kind of work it through and understand how you can use empathy in a, in a positive way, but not let it pierce you to the core where you're going to not be able to work properly. Well, I just think it's so exciting what you're doing, Carol, because... <clears throat> It feels like the cutting edge of, of understanding depression as a physiologically based disease. And it's about time that that came about and that you are actually offering tools to people to help them. Um, how would people who are interested in finding out more about TMS, neurofeedback, EMDR, go about asking their doctor or how do they find out more? Sure, they could ask their doctor. Uh, we do have a website that's in production that will talk about all this, the neurofeedback and the EMDR and everything. But right now, www.tmsofmaine, that would be the website to look at. They can call me at 233-8804. It is prescribed though. I oh, and I want to make, let's put this in. Yeah, because this is really important. This is a psychiatric procedure. Say, I'm a psychologist, just to be clear. So I'm not an MD or a DO and the psychiatrist needs to prescribe this. So Presently, Mike Patnod, who's a psychiatrist, he's the medical director for the company, and he and another gentleman, Dan Filene, um, has also been trained. So either one of them would do a psyche eval and, and you know, evaluate the person and be there for the initial treatment to figure out the placement, to figure out the dosage. So it's still a medical procedure. I just am very interested in it, so figured out a way to bring this to be. And then John McCain is the coordinator that does the rest of the treatments after we've gotten that all figured out and carries out the doctor's instructions. Well, I'm so glad to have finally met you, and I'm really excited by the work you're doing. It's interesting to me because, as we've said over the last 
Um, I guess this is show 34, so the past 33 shows, it's like all paths kind of leading to the same place. And I love that technology is finally bringing us to a place that we've known about for centuries and other ways, Chinese medicine, that sort of thing. It is exciting. It's exciting to see um, that there's now there's new op- opportunities for people. Well, thank you for coming in, Carol. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. And by Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. With offices in Yarmouth, Maine, the Shepard Financial team is there to help you evolve with your money. For more information on Shepard Financial's refreshing perspective on investing, please email tom at shepherdfinancialmain.com. Our bodies are often the first indicators that something isn't quite working. Are you having difficulty sleeping, anxiety, or chronic pain issues? Maybe you've had a job loss, divorce, or recent empty nest. Dr. Lisa specializes in helping people through times of change and inspiring individuals to create joyful, sustainable lives. Visit doctorlisa.org and schedule your office visit or phone consult today. Today we have the good fortune to speak with Dr. Brian Woods, who is an attending psychiatrist at McGeechee Hall at uh, Maine Medical Center. Brian is certified through the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology and is an attending at Maine Medical Center. Brian, you've got this very impressive resume. We're thrilled to have you here. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. And I have Genevieve Morgan sitting across the microphone from me. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Now, I wanted to out you almost immediately as being the husband of Jeanette Andonian, Dr. Jeanette Andonian, who came in and did our kids' show a few weeks back. Yes. So we know you're going to follow in her footsteps and do a really great job this morning. Well, I'll do my best. Um, today we're talking about something that's a little bit different than kids and parenting, although there's definitely some crossover. We're going to talk about dark days or depression, and um, this is something that maybe is under-recognized in our society. You get to see a lot of it. You get to see a lot of people coming in to McGeechee and Maine Medical Center who are impacted by this. But in the general population, what what type of incidence is there? Well, it's about a 15% of people will have a major depressive episode in their lifetime. And, but probably uh, the majority of people are familiar with depression in one form or another, either minor depression or something we call dysthymia. And tell us, what, what is the difference between major depression and dysthymia? Well, dysthymia is a, is a minor form of uh, depression that is really uh, less in severity. It it's, tends to be longer in duration, but uh, less in severity is the essential difference. Um, uh, dysthymia refers to a specific kind of minor depression, which is also different from what people would describe as the blues or just kind of feeling down for a period of time. Um, the, the biggest differences between uh, minor and major forms of depression are, are the intensity of the emotion, the intensity of the sadness. People that are blue or dysthymic, they typically feel sad, but people with a major depression typically feel morose, something more, something more than sad. Um, 
also uh, the duration of the illness um, to meet uh, criteria, at least DSM criteria for a major depressive episode. It has to it has to uh, to occur for a period of at least two weeks. <clears throat> but typically, the people we see in the clinic have had major symptoms for uh, months or even years. Um, and then the, th- the the third major difference is that um, major depression affects more areas of a person's life than just their emotional life, just the way they feel in terms of uh, a spectrum of sadness to happiness. Major depression affects their thinking or their cognitive life. People tend to have slowed thinking. Um, They have problems with memory. Uh, They have problems with indecision, um, self-doubt. And then there's also effects on the body itself. People with major depression tend, because there is a connection between the mind and the body, people have real uh, body or somatic symptoms, we, we call it. They'll f- generally feel a fatigue. There'll be a sleep disturbance, either sleeping too much or too little, um, a lack of energy, um, weight gain or weight loss, and uh, psychomotor agitation or retardation means they're, they really have too much kind of pointless energy or just not enough energy at all and not moving, not moving very much. And is there also something called an adjustment reaction or an adjustment disorder? Adjustment, yes. Adjust, I mean, sadness can occur in uh, all kinds of different contexts, including adjustment disorders. Um, an adjustment disorder is typically a briefer reaction in, in response to a specific uh, negative event that's occurred in a person's life. Um, And to qualify as an adjustment disorder, it has to be um, uh, a a set of symptoms that would typically uh, be considered um, uh, exaggerated for whatever um, the negative event uh, was. So how do people know when to get help from a psychiatrist? Well, I think when people notice uh, symptoms affecting their lives, if it starts to affect work or starts to affect their relationships, or uh, you know their quality of life. That is really the time to seek uh, help. When it's something more than just feeling sad on a few days or a couple of days a week. And what type of help do you provide at Megichi through and Maine Medical Center? Well, we have a team approach at Megichi, and, and we we provide um, psychopharmacology um, and uh, psychotherapy, both individual and group therapy. Uh, the primary modalities at uh, at Megichi. How do people know that it is time to seek help, whether it's through therapy or whether it's through medication? I mean, what tends to be the tipping point? Well, I, I, th- I think people really reach a point where they just, um, they're unhappy enough, they just feel they need help. People, um, and again, I think it's when it really starts to affect their lives, when people will notice it affects their job, their relationship with friends, their relationship with their family. Uh, when people notice those kinds of changes, I think that's when they should get help. When they notice their life is different, my life is different, in a significantly different in a negative way because of this depression, that's, that's the time to get help. Do you have patients that come or are referred to you because their significant other or their friends have told them that they're depressed? So in other words, their relationships have changed significantly, but they don't recognize it, but... Yes, you do, you do see that from time to time. And, and everybody's uh, depression uh, manifests in different ways. And, and some people have more insight into their own depression uh, than others. And some people are very aware of their depression on a moment-to-moment basis. Other people don't notice it, and, and it's family members that notice that they're different. 
How do you find yourself impacted by dealing with people day in and day out who have psychiatric problems? You know, it, it, it can be a challenge at times to, to talk to people who are really in a bad place for, you know, seven or eight hours a day, five days a week. But on the other hand, when you're able to help people, that provides a tremendous amount of gratification. And I think I think that's what keeps most clinicians going is, is uh, the people we can help and make a significant difference for. And you feel like there's enough people that are in your practice that you are helping, that this kind of keeps moving you forward. You see this as somewhat of a, a mission, perhaps? Or? Well, we, we don't help everybody. Um, and um, my general impression treating depression, you know, is that uh, there's a small number of people who have a dramatic response to treatment, and there's a small number of people who really have no response, and the majority of people have a, have a moderate response. So you, you are able to help most people. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Akari, an urban sanctuary of beauty, wellness, and style, located on Middle Street in Portland, Maine's Old Port. Follow them on Facebook and learn more about their new boutique and medispa at akaribeauty.com. And by Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, makers of Dr. John's Brainola Cereal. Find them on the web at orthopedicspecialistsme.com. Now, if someone's on a depression medication, are there other things they can do in their life to help boost the effect or, or shorten the ter- time they have to be on the medication? I mean, can you, are there other therapies or nutrition or anything else you recommend? Well, I think, you know, the <clears throat> treatment of depression is uh, being approached a little bit different these days as, as opposed to years ago. We are treating depression as more of a, a, a lifestyle change that a lot of patients need to make. Um, I mean, for, for some people who are, uh, have their lives in a relatively good place, perhaps an antidepressant medication is all they need, but for the majority of people, they need, they need more than that. There, there are multiple things uh, wrong in their lives, and um, really the most effective uh, approach is uh, a lifestyle approach. I tell, I tell people there are sort of three modalities we use to treat depression, say medications, psychotherapy, and then there's changes you'll need to make in your own life uh, to affect an improvement in your symptoms. Um, and I think that those lifestyle changes are, are very important. I think if people are depressed and they're staying at home and they're lying on the couch all day and they're watching daytime television and, you know, taking a pill in the morning, chances are isn't going to be enough to really bring them out of that depression. They're going to need to get up off the couch, start exercising, really change their life. Um, so I always recommend um, exercise, uh, a balanced diet, and a good sleep hygiene for patients. And I think that those sorts of lifestyle changes <clears throat> are just as important for a lot of people as uh, medication or psychotherapy is. What are some encouraging developments or trends that you see in your profession or on the horizon? Well, I think, uh, you know, parity for mental health uh, reimbursement has been a, a positive development over the past years. You know, I think at a state and uh, federal level, um, there's, there have been bills that have been passed to ensure uh, parity, meaning that people receive the same coverage for their mental illness that they do for their uh, medical illness. And I think that is a, a, real, a real positive development. I think on a more sort of medical or 
or uh, uh, research uh, front, I, I think uh, genetics holds huge promise. Uh, most mental illnesses um, are thought to be, their causes are thought to be a combination of genetics and, um, and, uh, and the environment or life experiences. And I think we usually know more about life experiences than we do about a person's genetics. With, with the Human Genome Project now, uh, we're going to be learning a lot more about the, the genetics. And I think that that potential is largely unfilled. There's a, again, there's a, there's a large gap between the DNA code and, and an individual person. But I think as time goes on, uh, those gaps will be filled in, and, 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 and genetics will uh, inform um, our assessment of individual patients. And an individual, individual patient's genetic makeup will give us a lot more insight into what sort of predispositions they have to mental illness and also, also what sort of treatments will be effective for that individual patient. Where do people find out how to reach you or McGeechee Hall or Maine Medical Center? What's the best way to access this information? Uh, well, Maine Health has an intake uh, number, uh, 761-6644 for uh, access both to inpatient or outpatient services for adults old or children. And that's the best way to access the system. Dr. Woods, this has been very helpful. I think our listeners are going to come away with some significant insights regarding depression and the state of um, mental illness in the world and perhaps ways that they can seek help. So we appreciate your coming in and talking to us today about depression and dark days. Well, I'm happy to do it, and, and thank you for having me. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 34, Dark Days, airing for the first time on Sunday, May 6th, 2012, on WLOB Radio, streaming WLOBradio.com. Our guests have included Dr. Carol Oram Huff and Dr. Brian Woods. If you are struggling with depression or transition of some sort or crisis, we invite you to go to the Dr. Lisa website, doctorlisa.org, where we have listed resources such as the Cumberland County Crisis Response 774 Help and the Sexual Assault Response Services of Southern Maine. We hope that some of these resources will be helpful to you as you are dealing with your own dark days. And we encourage you to let us know about your own resources, perhaps, that you found in this area. We also welcome your feedback about this show. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by a number of supportive and enlightened individuals who are out doing good works in the community. Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial is speaking about his concept, Evolve With Your Money, on Friday, May 11th at Volunteers of America, a celebration of caring in Brunswick. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialist has a lecture on the integration of health, diet, and exercise on May 18th at One City Center in Portland. And Robin Hodgkin of Morgan Stanley Smith Barney is offering the lecture Disrupt Yourself, featuring speaker Whitney Johnson at May 10th, 2012 at the Regency in Portland. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast. We appreciate your being a part of our community. We hope that you will take the time to go to our website, doctorlisa.org, to like us on Facebook, to subscribe to our e-news, and to generally let us know how you think we're doing. Thank you for being a part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. 
The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Akari. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Editorial content produced by Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Jane Pate. For more information on our hosts, production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org and tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 a.m. or streaming wlobradio.com. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belisle through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.